Welcome to Supergirl's Attic. I'm Cycles. And I'm Vivi. This is our companion episode to The Bodyguard, episode 14 of season 5 of Supergirl. And our topic for this week is the concept of freedom as opposed to, say, feeling stuck or like trapped or limited in some way. It seemed like an apt choice. Yes. This episode featured prisoners of several sorts from human to canine and multiple characters, including like extras, were physically trapped at different points in the episode. And many of the main characters were sort of mentally trapped in different ways with like rigid thinking or obsession or addiction. So let's start off with our main character, Kara. Some of the concepts we'll be touching on with Kara in this episode we've actually talked about before. Yes. So as we know, Kara does not appreciate the sensation of feeling physically trapped. We saw in season three that Kara experiences claustrophobia because of her experience being awake in the pod and confined to that small space. And we talked about this a number of times in the podcast throughout season four. And she also doesn't like the sensation of feeling emotionally helpless and trapped in that way either, which you see sometimes manifest in her almost compulsive desire to commit herself to helping people Mm -hmm. in a crisis, even if it's maybe a little unrealistic, just because she hates that feeling that there is nothing that she can do. And the other thing that came up in this episode that has been present in season five thus far, and that is building on things that we've known about Kara since the very beginning of the series, is that because of Kara's experiences with this kind of surreal nature of being stuck in that pod and the overwhelming sense of knowing like everything she understood about the world was gone. She has this very strong desire to feel present and connected to the reality around her. And she's had these experiences over the course of the series with being in kind of altered realities or these kind of like malicious fantasy worlds that have really messed with her sense of herself and what is real. Mm -hmm. So It is of no surprise that she is not a fan of what Andrea is doing and that she is so concerned about the impact that it may be having on people. Yeah, because it's like a combination. There's a fear that people will become slowly over time trapped in this sort of unreality. (laughs) Mm, It's very much like the idea of the Black Mercy, which we've definitely mentioned before. Mm -hmm. And I expect we'll see that come up again. (laughs) Yes. And we see in this episode, Kara express her fear with regard to the obsidian lenses. And she specifies it's not like she thinks there's an evil plan to like trap you in your brain. Your minds won't be held hostage, but that people disconnecting from the real world could backfire in unforeseen ways. She may not think there's an underhanded motive, but I'm sure those people <laughs> from Leviathan have one. <laughs> yes, <laughs> which we will talk about a little bit later. And Kara talks to William about this in this episode, and he expresses this idea idea that like the biggest appeal here is that it taps into people's desire to feel connected. But then when you only live in that VR world, you end up getting further and further away from the real world. So it can accomplish basically the opposite of what you want it to. Well, and especially since every example we've ever seen of this technology working is like the person's always alone in the VR simulation. Mm -hmm. And actually, we saw that again, even in the moment of the woman slaying the dragon at the beginning of the episode. Like, there were no people around. Like, nobody cheered when she did it. Yeah, where's the, like, D&D group of people (laughs) playing VR? Well, I joke to you that, especially because we were joking about International Women's Day and, like, iconic feminist things, it reminded me of the scene in Lord of the Rings. Mm -hmm. Or just, it called that to mind. And, like, you see it from a close-up point of view of one person, like, slaying the villain. But it's in the middle of 
have a giant battle scene and there's like people around and it's only cool because other people are experiencing the emotional release of like, yes, you did the thing. Mm -hmm. And everything we've seen of the VR completely lacks that. Yes. But the other thing that the VR can be kind of reminiscent of, going back to how Kara and Alex have both mentioned Harry Potter a bunch of times, is the warning that Dumbledore gives Harry about the mirror of Erised, mm -hmm. which is that if you spend too much time in your dreams, you'll like forget about your life. Yeah. And this episode, we heard about how this person, Todd, had a sort of mirror of Erised moment or several moments. He became addicted to the virtual reality. And he, in his suicide note, specified that ever since we left our home world, I felt lost. And the only relief I found is in VR. And Kara actually reads this letter aloud. And it was actually fairly reminiscent to me of that Black Mercy episode in season one. Mm -hmm. And what she said when she was talking about how she had been imagining herself on Krypton again because she felt lost like she did when she first came to Earth. So this has been sort of a consistent thing in her life, as we've talked about before, of like going to that mental space and imagining sort of an alternate reality because she felt lost after losing Krypton. And we also see her even kind of escape with media whenever she's sad and she watches like a movie alone <laughs> in her apartment. And that sort of behavior became so intense for Todd in his life. It became a problem and an addiction. And he described sort of a difficulty being present. Like, I'm so homesick, I can't think of anything else. So even when he's not in the VR, he's thinking about it. And for Kara, it's never really gotten that extreme. Obviously, she didn't have sort of a virtual reality to become addicted to, but she did have that Black Mercy experience wherein she was able to choose between living sort of the fake life on Krypton with her family or come back to Earth and be with Alex and be Supergirl. And she chose to come back. Whereas Todd sort of expresses that idea that like, I'm sorry, I could not be stronger for you. So there's sort of a sense of like Kara choosing her family and her loved ones and Todd wasn't able to make that choice. And Kara's sort of, I guess, ability to make that decision and that value that she has personally of connection with her loved ones and connection to people in general is definitely at the heart of the character. And we've talked about this in relation to the virtual reality and in our technology episode, connecting to people sort of directly is Kara's superpower. And we also mentioned how when Kara first met William, he averted his eyes and like wouldn't <laughs> look at her. Hmm. Obviously, we know now that he was hiding something, so it makes Sense. Well, it also makes sense in that he was actively trying to avoid connecting to people because mm. it would have made his undercover reporting more challenging. Yeah. And it wasn't like he had no interest in connecting to people. He was trying to like deliberately avoid it. Yeah. And that concept of like William averting his eyes connects thematically to the virtual reality and how it physically covers your eyes as sort of a symbolic representation of disconnect and like car like ran into somebody in the first episode of this season because they had their eyes covered by it. But I thought it was interesting in this episode because we've seen a progression for William from like averting his eyes specifically with Kara and then to him talking about how karaoke and game night changed his state of mind and made him want to connect with people again, like for real. <laughs> well, and we do at least know that in this timeline of reality, he is still profoundly affected by like the loss of his friend. And so that could be why 
it was those things that felt very like homey in the sense of being like friend, family, mm. loved one kind of activities were like, oh, I can have fun with people. Like, <laughs> yes. Right. <laughs> That's what that feels like, mm-hmm. which is really interesting when you consider that we had other characters in this episode who are actively shunning the opportunities to have those connections, yeah. like, even though they used to have them and they miss them. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so for William, that friendship connection with Kara and Kara's friends was what helped him. And in terms of connecting to people being a superpower for Kara, in this episode, we also had her give one of her patented speeches. Which was such a nice return to form. It really was. It's not a season of Supergirl until Kara uses her true superpower, motivational speaking. (laughs) Yes. And so Kara reaches the character of Amy, who is Todd's wife, in recognizing that Amy is stuck, essentially. Trapped, if you will. (laughs) Yes. And Kara says, just as Todd became obsessed with the virtual world, you have become obsessed with finding justice for him. And it's interesting that she uses the word justice because that comes up in Lena's storyline as well. Mm. A fun surprise. We'll come back to you later. (laughs) Yes. And that whole conversation in true Supergirl form between Kara and Amy had moments that were obviously like inspirational, but also very pointedly relatable for Kara. And you can tell that she's always speaking from experience. Uh, But we also heard Amy say some things that it's reasonable to expect Kara to relate to, such as no one else should suffer the way I did which is part of the reason that Kara is a superhero. And interestingly, that aspect of her personality is also part of the reason that Kara can be very stubborn and have that sort of stuck mindset about certain things. Mm. Although, actually, knowing we're going to come back to this later with this idea of getting kind of stuck or fixed on one problem-solving solution with a few of the other main characters, Mm -hmm. we did see Kara actually change tactics multiple times as things did not work. Yeah. And adjust to this feedback that was coming around her in large part because she is so attuned to reading the feedback around her. Mm, Yes. And at one point she tries to reflect Amy's thinking back at her and says like, what you want is for people to engage, for people to know what it's like to be in the outside world, to be a partner, to love, to have friends. And to me that sounds like a post-loss of Krypton wish list. (laughs) Well, yeah, actually, I think Kara even says as much to James in season one at one point. Yes. Talking about all of those are like part of that normal life that she believes that she cannot have Mm -hmm. at this point because there is no one who can understand her life or what she went through in a way that will make all that trauma feel like a normal part of life. Yeah. And then another idea that Kara expresses that relates directly to her, like, obviously, is the part where she's like, you can't change the past. <laughs> I've tried, <laughs> which she just did recently with the 100th episode. But that also relates to, again, the Black Mercy episode when she realized that she couldn't just live in that fake reality, that the sort of construct of Krypton wasn't real and she couldn't get Krypton back for real. And she instead had to move forward and not become stuck. And then Kara eventually the way that she gets through to Amy is in framing it through her connection with Todd and what he would have wanted, which actually reminded me of when Kara talked about the first time she let Eliza hug her and that Mm. Eliza refused to leave and said that her parents would have wanted her to be loved. Yeah. So Kara definitely used all the tools in the toolbox in order to get Amy to sort of break from her obsession with justice for Todd. But it also looks like their result of that experience was that Kara reconsidered some of her own 
choices a little bit. Speaking of, again, maybe mentally being stuck or trapped versus feeling free to make your decisions. Mm. Yes, Kara has decided to move forward and go on a date with William. So those are the ways that Kara's character dealt with kind of the concept of finding freedom through connection with others. But Kara also dealt with a bit of feeling trapped in this episode. Lex blackmailed slashed guilted Kara into protecting Andrea in this episode. Kara actually described it at one point as being glued to Andrea's side. And so Kara obviously resents that she's in this situation. If it wasn't Lex, <laughs> it better be a different deal. But there is the sensation of being cornered into having to do something as opposed to Kara just choosing to do it. And she, in the episode, expresses how great she thinks Alex's new situation is. <laughs> kind of in contrast where Kara still has to deal with Lex and Alex is now free from that. Which takes us to discussing Alex and her new freedom. Kara sort of states Alex's situation at the beginning of the episode and mentions how great it is that she doesn't have to deal with Lex trying to control her. And she also doesn't have to deal with bureaucracy. But at the same time, Alex is expressing anxiety about the negative aspects of this new freedom. It's kind of just how she rolls. <laughs> <laughs> Particularly in situations that feel ambiguous in the sense that there isn't a particular structure or a clear direction that she can go in. Mm -hmm. And she also expressed a couple times in this episode feeling like her safety net has been pulled out from under her, which is really interesting because we talked about how in season four, when she lost that memory of Carr being Supergirl, she had a similar sense of feeling really just adrift mm. and vulnerable in a way because she forgot that she had her, her safety net. Well, she lost sort of a pillar of her own life in a way and that support. <laughs> well, but she's going through a similar sort of thing here because her decision to leave the DEO, which is something that, as we said last week, we were surprised wasn't given more space given that it was such a big decision because it was a founding element of the character. Mm. So cool that they are continuing to have her struggle with it. Mm -hmm. And we saw that manifest in a number of very appropriate ways <laughs> where Alex is saying she feels really uncomfortable being without a gun in a situation where she's encountering something that might be unknown. Well, just when she's like out in a crowd. Well, yeah, that's an unknown situation. <laughs> Anything could happen. But she mentions that. She also specifically mentions feeling not confined, but like limited limited by the fact that she also no longer has like a whole team of people mm -hmm. who can help her. And without that, she's kind of recognizing that she is the mere mortal in a family of gods, essentially. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's interesting because she has this newfound freedom, then is promptly literally trapped in a burning building and has limited tools at her disposal to deal with that. But the thing about that Alex specifically brings up the fact of feeling like she's without a team was very striking to me because as I I think we've talked about before, Alex tends to ground her sense of self and her relationships to other people. And that's part of how she will kind of delineate her boundary from other people and, and how she understands herself. But we've seen throughout her whole life in flashbacks and then in the present timelines of the series that she does like to work in teams most of the time, unless it's to like brood on her own issues. <laughs> She's always tended to have very pro-social goals and that they involve 
helping others and interacting with other people. She also had mentioned back in season two that when Kara came to the family, she was actually quite excited to have a sibling. Like mm-hmm. that as much as maybe she was happy being the only child because she got all the like positive attention and stuff, that part of her really wanted a buddy yeah. <laughs> to spend some time with. And we also saw in the flashbacks of her in both middle and high school that she was much more a follower in social situations than she is now as someone who has matured and kind of understood her own qualities as a leader. Mm -hmm. And so it was very fitting then that feeling like she's not on a team now Mm. is making her feel vulnerable and stuck in some way, even though she still obviously has like her immediate family as a team. Mm-hmm. And the other thing that Alex is missing in this episode that she expresses is like a clear mission and a boss. And she talked about how she has always had that every day since medical school in her conversation with Jean. And we know that before Alex joined the DEO and had that clear mission and boss and that structure, she had been spiraling. And then Jean came along, visited her in prison under the name Hank Henshaw. <laughs> Speaking of prison. <laughs> yes. And in season one, Alex talked about how Jean at that point gave her a home, a purpose. And in that same episode, we saw flashbacks that indicated that Jean sort of promised to prepare her for any possible situation. She's like, training for what? And he's like, anything, everything. <laughs> right. So no wonder Alex felt sort of safe within that structure because it gave her the tools to deal with anything that she would encounter within that point in her life. Well, and it also goes back to the point that Alex is a very procedural thinker, Mm. which makes absolute sense as someone with a very strong science background. And then as she mentioned with medical school, you do, generally speaking, have some system in your brain that you will follow in any given circumstance so that if you have to make a quick decision, you don't stand around wondering what you should do. Mm -hmm. Like you always know, okay, this is the next thing. This is the next thing. And then you keep going. So she's definitely realizing that without any of those guideposts, without clear goals, she's definitely feeling like things are too vague and a little overwhelming, Mm -hmm. as she mentions to Jean. And for a lot of people, that can lead to feeling kind of emotionally trapped or just completely stuck because you're unable to decide what to do next. Mm -hmm. And that's actually a very common psychological principle. You don't want to give people too many choices because then they'll never make up their mind because they'll be too afraid that they'll pick wrong. Yep. And as we know, Alex doesn't like doing things that could be wrong. So, (laughs) (laughs) And it's funny to sort of compare her in this episode and generally, to Kara, who definitely thrives without having to adhere to a strict structure in her life. Well, in some ways. Yeah, generally, there are a lot of situations where Kara like, doesn't see the walls that are up. <laughs> yeah, no, Kara operates by her own rules. She just doesn't really necessarily care about like society's rules. Yes. <laughs> as long as everything is structured in her own moral life, then she feels secure. Mm. Whereas Alex enjoys external structure. Yes. The other thing that was kind of neat in them finally kind of returning to this idea of Alex and who she wants to be and how she's going to get there was that this episode and the season more broadly have been dealing with the higher end of Eric Erickson's stages of psychosocial development, which are the ones that deal specifically with adulthood. And that's not something you get to see very often. So that's exciting. But essentially, this is something that you 
tend to learn in general psych or developmental psych. And it is a series of stages that start with birth and infancy and go all the way into old age. And the idea is that people will experience crises (laughs) that involve different social and emotional struggles at different points in their lives. And that most people go through one struggle of this type as they progress from childhood to adulthood. And depending on how successful you are at overcoming some of those crises as a young person, those become like the building blocks of whether or not you will successfully overcome the crises of like early, middle and late adulthood. Mm -hmm. And so Alex at this point is dealing with the stage. It's like the second to last one. It's called generativity versus stagnation. And that is when you reach a point in your life where your sense of like who you are is pretty stable and you've made your peace with how you handle your social and emotional relationships with the people around you. You have a solid emotional support network, but then your eye starts to turn to, well, what have I done with my life? What do I still want to do? Am I proud of the things that I did? Do I feel stuck? Mm -hmm. And really kind of grappling with all of those questions about how to find real meaning and satisfaction and recognition that you're contributing to the lives of people around you in addition to yourself. Mm -hmm. So hopefully we'll get to see her do a bit more of that. It's also interesting because that stage of psychosocial development tends also to be associated with the idea of parenting or starting to think towards passing your knowledge on to the next generation and like bettering the lives of the people who will come after you, um, if you will, in in like a work situation, so mentoring and things like that. And so I'm thinking that means we'll get a lot more of all of the things that Alex has been wanting for herself kind of coming back to the forefront Mm. from here through like the end of the series. Yeah, it should be interesting because we know that Alex struggles with like letting external factors control her life, particularly in relation to protecting her loved ones. This is something that's popped up a lot for her. Alex struggles to prioritize her own personal goals over the well-being of her loved ones. So some sort of awkward feeling freedom without that like external structure is an opportunity for growth for Alex. It is. And honestly, it's really important to be comfortable feeling uncomfortable as an adult because it will happen a lot throughout (laughs) your life. So (laughs) it's a good lesson. Um, But the other nice thing was that even with Alex kind of feeling adrift because there's all this change happening. You do have Jean stepping in there and kind of resuming that mentor role that he's always played for her Mm -hmm. and giving her some structure, but not in as rigid of a way as maybe he did within the confines of the DEO. So like he is helping kind of guide her, like when we talked about in our mentorship podcast episode, Mm -hmm. but he's also giving her a lot more room to decide for herself which direction to go next. Mm -hmm. Which tracks in terms of a progressing mentorship relationship. Yeah, and it's much more an equal partnership in a lot of ways Mm -hmm. because Jean knows that she has lots of skills that he is very proud of the fact that she has and wants her to help him because it'll benefit him in addition to benefiting her. So Yes, and we see him give her a Martian weapon in this episode. Which was cute just in the fact that it continues to emphasize that idea that Alex is very much a part of Jean's family in that way. Mm -hmm. And that she like vibes with the Martians. Um, (laughs) Yes. 
And also because it's super cool. (laughs) And it was a really nice gesture to go towards kind of recognizing Alex's insecurities over feeling powerless Mm -hmm. without saying like, the way you are is not good enough. (laughs) Because giving her a weapon that essentially she can control what it is and what it does means that it is still very much an extension of who she is and what she can do. Mm -hmm. So that was really cool. But it'll be interesting to see exactly what she does with that capability because it is a weapon that will depend on your ability to be mentally flexible and creative in terms of thinking about what is possible Mm -hmm. in much the same way that people are using Andrea's VR technology. So in contrast with being stuck. Yeah. Well, but knowing that Alex has so much of a preference for being governed by rules Mm -hmm. and structure, it'll be interesting to see if she runs into this concept of what's known as functional fixedness in that she might say, okay, like these things are weapons, but other things that maybe are unconventional, she might not necessarily think Mm -hmm. of. So that'll be kind of neat to see develop and see what the possibilities there are. Because we see her at the end of the episode say, well, it's really a gun. Yeah. And Sean's like, no, it can be anything you want. (laughs) And speaking of this concept of like whether or not you have like a free mind or more of a stuck mindset, the three characters had kind of paralleling storylines in this episode, particularly in relation to being either obsessed or having like a one-track mind focused on doing good. Another thing that came up across those three storylines for the secondary main characters is that each of them ended up kind of relying upon a mirror of themselves and their own thoughts Mm -hmm. to justify the decisions that they were making. Like we saw Andrea and her shadow, which was really cool. (laughs) Yes. Brainy and the hologram of Brainy that resembles him the most. And then Lena going to Lex, who she knows will validate her opinions because he wants her to do things. (laughs) Yeah for his benefit. It's in his own interest to do so. Yeah. So that was also really interesting in the way that other characters were dealing with this idea of being stuck versus feeling free to kind of go in other directions. Mm -hmm. So we'll start with Andrea, who was both stuck in the sense that she had a one-track mind and then also, on the other hand, refused to be restrained in any way throughout the episode. And we see her throughout the episode sort of refuse these different external constraints that people try to place upon her, like literally keeping her in a holding cell. That doesn't work out because she has shadow powers. And she also, with regard to the obsidian lenses, ignores the negatives, obviously, but specifically negatives that may trap people in a way, Mm -hmm. like the addiction that Todd experienced. And we know that pre-crisis, she was aware that Lena had grown to have a dependency on the lenses. And that she was able to see that from the data in how and how long she was using them. So she would know, presumably, from the usage patterns of other users. Yes. But she downplays the importance of that data and emphasizes the like new freedoms one can experience with the obsidian lenses. And we see the concept of freedom demonstrated with the obsidian lenses when Andrea says, platinum lets you be whoever you want, whenever you want. And then we also see a woman at the beginning of the episode be with the virtual reality, no longer confined to wheelchair. She can slay a dragon. And we're seeing an example here of one type of sort of mental limitation that a person can experience, which is confirmation bias, where she only accepts data that 
confirms what she already believes about the obsidian lenses, and she will not consider slowing down in any way throughout the episode. <laughs> she refuses to postpone the press conference, and when Supergirl confronts her with her concerns, she refuses to slow down the rollout of obsidian lenses. And says, bottom line, Supergirl, I'm here to help people. And is kind of tunnel visioned on that bottom line. Yeah. And in theory, Kara should find that relatable. <laughs> but it's kind of like the situation with Lena where Andrea's like, I'm doing this to help people because my investors are putting a lot of pressure on me for this to succeed. And I want it to be awesome for myself. <laughs> um, <Yeah>. <laughs> and I'm like, helping people is not your actual goal. <laughs> And it's very similar to how Lex kind of needled at Lena in one of the previous episodes when he points out that she's developed non no cherry for herself and she's like, for the good of humanity. Uh. <laughs> yes. And that's connected to this idea that like what the bottom line is in reality influences the product. Amy, when she is discussing the obsidian lenses, says it's built to trap you. And as we've talked about before, much of technology's ability to be used for good or for ill is built into it and built into the systems that support it, which is why it's important for people like Andrea to listen to others like Supergirl. Well, and it's also directly related to the fact in reality that many of these apps and social media platforms are designed to be addictive. They have a feedback loop that makes you want to keep coming back for more mm -hmm. like a drug addict. <laughs> and that's built into uh, their business the design like yeah. plan. The point of it is to generate revenue and get eyeballs on it, you know, like Andrea talks about Kako. But Andrea could, you know, slow down the rollout. She could implement restrictions or build in regulations to the product without having to remove it and, you know, not make any money <laughs> that would influence whether or not it is used for good or ill. And when Amy talks about the obsidian lenses in her sort of manifesto, she says obsidian north is technological genocide, which sounds extremist to probably Kara, who doesn't have a full context of the goals of Obsidian and then behind Obsidian, the goals of Leviathan. Mm. But we know that Gemma mentioned like harm and damaged people living in the virtual reality indefinitely. Yeah. As I said before, which like seems like a weird goal for immortal people <laughs> to want to trap society forever so they don't interact with anyone. Like, yeah. what's the point then in ruling over society <laughs> if nobody does anything? That seems kind of dumb. Then again, maybe that's meant to parallel what's the point of having people if they don't have feelings, Lena. Hmm. But Andrea is essentially stuck and like obsessed with Obsidian's advancement, just as Amy was obsessed with Obsidian's destruction and Todd was obsessed with using the virtual reality to revisit his own planet. And then also, like Lena, as we'll discuss, is obsessed with Nanduchere. And something Andrea said in this episode stuck out to me. She said, I won't give in to terror when she refused to postpone the press conference. In season two, Lena expressed the same sentiment. She said, well, you can't live in fear when she didn't want to cancel her gala because of her plans related to becoming a figure for good. And both Lena and Andrea had 
a very one-track mind and refused to see alternatives less intensely at the time for Lena. But it is interesting to see Andrea be in the same place that Lena was then and maybe be able to project the trajectory of Andrea's character development if it goes down that path. But Andrea is also, in terms of being trapped, stuck on previous events and like kind of emphasizes what has already been built. She says, it's my life. It's my father's too. And she's not as focused on like the best outcome for everyone, including herself in the future. It's about honoring what has already been created. And it sounds like she feels like she has to continue this way versus like it's something she's excited about or passionate about in a personal way that isn't related to legacy. And that takes us to Lena, who in this episode, one could kind of see a path for her to become unstuck from her obsession with this plan that she has with Nanuchere. Yeah, Lena seems to be making at least a hint of progress. But she's still in this place where, like, she's not ready to accept the thoughts, <laughs> but she's sort of at least having them and not slamming them back into her boxes of emotions mm -hmm. immediately. So that's a step in the right direction, I guess, because we see her much more careful in her research this time than she had been on the past Earth, which means either growth or also that when we had our science experts talking about <laughs> some of the things that lena should have been doing all along and wasn't that that's been incorporated into this version of lena's testing because we have seen her take the right steps on the path to like clinical trials and moving from testing things with animals to humans and she is very conscious of not wanting to make mistakes in large part because if she does she knows people will jump all over her for harming others mm. and since her project is all about in theory doing no harm to people she doesn't want that yeah. And she considers like critics pouncing on her mistakes more than she had at any point before the confrontation she had with Kara, wherein it's actually in her calculations for her actions as opposed to something she holds resentment for. Yeah, she's she's conscious of it in a way that she wasn't, let's say, going back to like the Thanksgiving episode in season four, hmm. when she initially started talking about developing the uh, super soldier serum. And Alex and Eliza were both like, that's a terrible idea. And Lena really got defensive and was like, well, doing it anyway on the DL. Um, <laughs> yeah. Here she is at least saying like, huh, Kara, a person who usually has good judgment and faith in me and her friends think I'm maybe making a bad choice. So maybe I am making a bad choice. Um, yeah. Which for her to say out loud is actually a big deal. Mm -hmm. However, Lena and personal responsibility for things, <laughs> not necessarily friends all the time. That said, she will eventually quietly concede that Kara <laughs> has a point, even if she will never apologize or acknowledge the fact <laughs> that she has conceded mm -hmm. that Kara has a point, such as in season four, when we find out she made the protective anti-kryptonite suit because what Kara as Supergirl said to her did affect her and she recognized that she didn't want to hurt someone who she respected. Mm -hmm. And we saw in the alternate season three timeline in the 100th episode that even though Lena was no longer associating herself with Kara, she still did find a way to subdue Rain without using kryptonite, which was something she was not really willing to do in the original timeline. Mm -hmm. So 
we are seeing the hints that something's happening under the surface there, but not if Lex has anything to say about it. (laughs) Which, of course, he does. But Lena will listen and then kind of quietly go and then adjust her plan. But she only really seeks out feedback that she expects to enjoy. (laughs) Well, I don't blame her for not seeking out criticism when you consider her family. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Also fair. But like in the alternate season four timeline in the 100th episode, Lena immediately runs to Sam in another city to receive like validation that she isn't a villain. We know that she broke up with James in season four because he wouldn't approve of what she was doing. And rather than just accept that they disagreed or reconsider. She avoided. She just decided to cancel the vacation they were about to go on to a foreign country and made him get out of the car. (laughs) (laughs) And she's notorious for hiding things from people when she knows that they will disapprove of them. Which is, again, a very blatant symptom of the fact that she was raised by people who would criticize her for things that maybe weren't even real problems Mm -hmm. and blame her for stuff. So there's reason she does it. That doesn't mean that as an adult, she should continue to do it. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, in this situation, her sounding board is Lex, who was only ever going to agree with her, as we've mentioned. And he goes like a step further than like validating Lena's path in how he frames Lena's consideration of Supergirl's criticisms as an obsession, as opposed to just being like, no, she's wrong. He takes it to where you're obsessed with caring about what Supergirl says. Which, again, is a really subtle manipulation and a distortion of Lena's view of the world, which Mm. is exactly what he is very good at and is the problem where, like, thinking actually to the thing Alex said about how she didn't think she could take down Lex from within the structure of the DEO, Mm. Lena can't take him down within the context of being his sister because he is playing into all of their sibling dynamic and she will not see what he is doing with him right in front of her. And he's doing a lot of very skilled abuser tactics to make her distrust anyone else that might contradict him. And he is winning. Yeah. (laughs) He sort of concedes that he was wrong about things he did in his past. What? Lex said he was wrong. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Which, you know, Lena may hear and be like, oh my God. He never does that. You realize Lex changed the entire timeline because he was so angry that he got something wrong and that somebody beat him? (laughs) Uh, Yeah, but he kind of almost seems vulnerable. And that is something we've seen him do before and like admitting things to Lena that he had an obsession with Clark, Superman, and compares that situation to Lena's situation, again, warping the dynamics. And speaking of mirrors, trying to get Lena's sense of her own reality to mirror his Mm. by tying them together explicitly like that yes but in reality the obsession here for lena has been for a while now this project of nanachere and that's kind of the way that she is stuck and in terms of this theme and concept of being trapped Lex brings up the fact that they own a cute little prison and suggests that they use the prisoners as test subjects. Of course, we first saw the smaller test subjects visually imprisoned with a dog and this sort of alien lizard creature. Yes. But they upgraded to (laughs) humans who were imprisoned. And there's nothing ethically questionable about that. (laughs) Not at all. Um, So it is ethically questionable because prisoners are, you know, trapped and they have few present options for improving their lives. So there's more of a pressure there to consent. Yes. To the trials. And while it does seem like 
there wasn't a whole lot of dishonesty about what the trial was for. Mm-hmm. It is still an interesting kind of commentary on the way a lot of psychological and medical trials have been carried out on vulnerable populations, sometimes without their consent or through deception, particularly prior to the age of making ethical guidelines on how you're supposed to conduct human research like that. Hmm. So that was definitely, again, thinking back to like the fact that they included Lena going through the steps and the process, a nice developing the depth on that Mm -hmm. in a way. The other thing that's interesting is to think back to season four when, unbeknownst to Lena, Lex was manipulating the forces around her to accelerate the pace of her research, Mm. which does make you wonder if he knew there would be flaws in her trial here or if he was pushing her toward it sooner than she would have liked because I think he did come in and say to her like oh hey it's like I got the human trials hooked up at our prison that we can just use without going through like the federal regulation process (laughs) yeah where she was still testing it with animals so curious if he's trying to pull strings there again as well statistically (laughs) yeah (laughs) it's likely yes and then we saw lovely steve the reporter who is one of Kara's fans so he and lena should be great friends (laughs) so steve has this goal basically of no longer being terrorized by this sort of prison bully type named toby and we did see that non nocere completely changed toby's personality suddenly wanted to be Steve's good friend, like, hang out later, you know? Yeah, which actually isn't what Lena had said she wanted it to do exactly at first. Because it was supposed to just rid people of negative impulses, not suddenly make them be, like, super Mm pro-social. Which was kind of concerning in terms of stuff we'll talk about in a minute. But we also see with Steve that fear leaves him. He's like liberated in that way. And this opens up his mind, gives it the space to feel anger instead. And so consequently, Nanucheri backfires and he experiences a need for revenge and violence. And it's trapped inside him trying to claw its way out. Well, and specifically because Lena's Nanucheri does work in the fact that he can't physically act on the emotions, Mm. but he still feels them. Yes. It was actually very reminiscent in some ways of Kara with the red kryptonite. Yeah. Interesting. It's kind of the exact opposite. Yeah. It has the exact opposite intent, but the uninhibited expression of emotion was still there with unintended consequences. Mm. But the way that Lena deals with the fact that Steve feels the need for violence, but is simply unable to express it or let it out is by targeting his sense of injustice. Yeah, Lena was really thrown off by the fact that apparently multiple emotions can result in similar behaviors in this episode, which given her lack of familiarity with emotions and how they work is not surprising. (laughs) Um, But also given her limited worldview and her complete lack of experience with many forms of injustice as a very privileged wealthy white woman is 100% not surprising that she wouldn't think like, oh, that's a feeling lots of people feel and suppress and then it makes them angry. Mm. And it's also a problem that her immediate conclusion is that I should just remove the feeling. So the anger goes away. And this goes back to her reaction kind of when James talked about being handcuffed as a small child. Mm. Didn't occur to her that maybe solving the things that create the injustice in the first place is probably the way to go. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) 
or even the recognition that injustice on that big of a scale exists and affects people mm-hmm. because she just doesn't experience it or see it. Speaking of people being trapped or, you know, stuck in a fixed way of thinking, Lena is very much trapped by the thought patterns created through her own circumstances. Yeah. It sets up a situation where Steve is unable to react the way that he did earlier in the episode. When Toby asks him, is everything okay? He says, no, it's not. I'm not okay. And now if he was asked that question, the answer would change. But the situation, the reality of his experiences wasn't actually erased. It's just the way he feels has been manipulated. And that sets him up for not being able to rebel when other injustices are imposed upon him in the future and Mm -hmm. is a horrifying concept. Well, it's actually a really good demonstration, essentially, of how groups with social power will actually change the goalposts for what an injustice is every time that minority groups make any progress. They'll find a new strategy to kind of pull the rug out from under you and keep you stuck. Mm. And take away your ability to say like, hey, this is a thing that's not okay. Because they'll be like, oh, but we fixed that thing. What are you complaining about now? Yeah. And specifically in relation to feeling anger and how minority groups will be encouraged not to express anger. But in reality, anger can be a useful tool for motivation and changing your life (laughs) and society. Well, and also anger is really important for recognizing when you need to set boundaries with people. (laughs) Yes. Like maybe Steve doesn't want to hang out with Toby and that should be okay. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. But there are many negative emotions. Like, you know, you think back actually to the Disney movie Inside Out. Mm. The emotions that we associate as being negative are still vitally necessary to our ability to function as people. And Lena does not have the perspective to realize that. And especially because she is not consulting with with other experts in her field, other experts in adjacent fields, anyone who has any life experience that is not similar to her own. (laughs) That combined with this sense of hubris and that she can account for every variable and that she has control over the situation is extremely dangerous, especially when we all know that Lex and then consequently Leviathan are pulling the strings here. Mm. So fingers crossed that Lena will continue to open her eyes back up to reality sooner rather than later. (laughs) Yes. And speaking of characters who could benefit from hearing feedback that does not mirror their own thinking at the time, we have Brainy, who is experiencing that sort of rigid thinking in this episode. Which does make sense, given that he is a techno-organic being, and he, much like Alex, enjoys programs and rules and structure. He does. But we do see him having a lot of doubts, much like Lena, but stronger. (laughs) About whether or not listening to the alternate versions of himself was the right decision. Demonstrated very nicely by his statement that he's been running math on how likely they will be to forgive him or to continue to include him specifically in family Thanksgiving. Yes. And that that is weighing on his mind so much that it's distracting him. But because he too has become socially isolated due to this decision to work with Lex to save humanity, um, (laughs) he goes to someone who he already knows will mirror his own thoughts and validate what he wants to hear, which will kind of continue to leave him 
trapped where he is as opposed to being able to go in another direction. Kind of connecting back to that idea of connection being a freeing agent. <laughs> and Yellow Belt Brainy, who is now Glasses Brainy, phrases our brainies predicament in a very narrow and, and specific way that like there's only one thing you can do trust the math and it's a sort of trapping phrase it is and it's also the opposite of everything that brainy has learned in his time with the legion in his time working with Kara and alex and learning from nia about sometimes the numbers are not what is important mm -hmm. and it seems at least to me a little bit that brainy is not actually taking that advice to trust the math because he is weighting the advice from the other brainiacs more heavily than he should partly because they are telling him things from their worlds or their futures and he as a person who has come from the future is a little more trusting of oh maybe they know something i don't but also in part because they made him feel inferior when he met them. Mm. And intellect is something he values very highly. And so he is feeling insecure and in trusting his own decisions at this point. And that concept of valuing information from the future in relation to freedom is interesting mm. because of the concept of like fate and whether or not you can alter your path. <laughs> Another thing I thought was really interesting with Brainy in this episode was just sort of the visual of him looking at the information on the computer screen when Alex calls him that he would like to be able to give her. And you can see the conflict on his face, mm. but then he unhappily chooses not to. And this brings to mind that struggle that Steve had when he was like trying to punch Toby, but then was stopped by his own mind. Just a fun sort of thematic parallel. Yeah, that was cool. And then we have some miscellaneous thoughts about the episode that are not related directly to the theme of freedom. And then we have questions from our listeners. Yeah. So there was a really nice intentional shot of Brainy revealing his Legion suit where you could see the three lights, like the triangle mm. on the front and very clearly that they are white, which makes me wonder if we will see at some point the visual of the Brainy with the red lights come back mm. later on in the season. Because I don't trust the big brain. <laughs> <laughs> And then just sort of a general observation about the episode that I had is that we had several emotionally engaging conversations between the characters and lots of different character dynamics. Mm. And that's something that I feel like I've kind of missed yes. <laughs> this season and last season of it. Yeah, there was a lot more stuff that actually felt character driven mm. in this episode. Which for an episode that was about an individual problem is nice mm. to see where it's like kind of like a monster of the week type formula. Well, yeah, but actually a lot of the season one episodes were like that with a kind of monster of the week structure. And that mm -hmm. actually gives you more room to do character work because you don't have to worry as much about like overarching deep plot points. Mm -hmm. And that's kind of exactly what I've been missing with the show a little bit, that emotionally engaging, self-contained problem episode format. So it was really cool to see them sort of return to form in that way. It was. So then we also have a bunch of questions from you guys. Mm -hmm. And our first one is an anonymous question, and it says, So we have a pretty good idea of Kara's comfort foods, and we now know Alex's. What do you think the comfort foods of the rest of the Super Friends are? Well, we know Jean. What is Jean? Chacos. Chacos. Uh, fake Oreos. Alex brings them to him when he's locked up in season one. Yes. Hmm. 
I bet Brainies develops over time as he lives in the 21st century. Yes. I can see him kind of being like at first obsessed with pizza and then moving on to something else. Yeah. Kind of reminds me of actually that scene where Monel takes Imra and she's like obsessed with eating ribs because <laughs> barbaric 21st century humans eat with their hands. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so it'd be cool to see Brainy sort of go from maybe latching on to other characters' comfort foods and then maybe developing his own. I don't know why but I could see him getting really into like Slurpees. Slurpees. I love it. <laughs> it's the visual of him like with his like with the cup, I think. disguise. Yeah. And, like slurping a Slurpee. <laughs> yeah, exactly. What about Lena? Lena. <laughs> Lena's not good at comfort. So I maybe Lena's comfort food is Big Belly Burger based on mm, that's true. That being a thing between her and Kara and maybe Kara recognizing that she likes it. Like a fun activity that they like to do together. Yes. <laughs> Yeah. Like working out. <laughs> <laughs> like going to spin class. <laughs> Nia, we kind of know what she likes because Brainy went a little overboard buying it, like the sushi mm. and a couple other things. Yeah. The show really likes to incorporate food into the episodes. so Which I honestly enjoy, especially on a female-centric show, because mm. there's not an emphasis on being kind of obsessed with body image and needing to look or behave a certain way regarding food. So mm-hmm. I dig it. Anonymous asks, what would you do? if you were in an obsidian platinum simulation or would you choose not to go in one at all hmm. i'm laughing because i play the sims so like <laughs> I, I don't know that i would really need it i'm like i could just turn on my computer and do what i want it's fine <laughs> you know what would, i would really like to do hmm. tell stories through oh that platform that was my first thought i was like i would just take things that i don't have the patience to sit and write down and just like visually <laughs> make them happen which is actually a lot of what i do when i play the sims so um, <laughs> <laughs> it's so true to form. I'd like to like set up like kind of like a movie type situation where mm. I can build it and then stick another person in there to experience what a character goes through, which would be really cool. Yeah. I'm like, there's like specific things maybe from earlier in my life that I'd be like, hmm, I might want to go like re-experience that. But on the other hand, mm. I'm like, eh, I made my peace with it. I don't really want to go mess with that. Yeah. So nah, probably not. <laughs> stick into uh, the future. <laughs> then we have another anonymous question that is responding to uh, one of the examples examples that was in our post requesting the questions and it was just in case you were kidding with your example i'll ask for real <laughs> which whitney houston song would capture the essence of Kara and each of the super friends yes it's important and there's a second question but we'll answer this first yes and this is relevant because the episode's called the bodyguard it was a movie with whitney houston yes, right with yeah. whitney houston she sings a couple songs in it so i am a terrible person to ask this question because i only know about four songs by whitney houston <laughs> Like, you read me a list and I was like, nope. <laughs> I, I even sang them and no. <laughs> So for Cara, I picked the song When You Believe by Whitney Houston and Mariah Carey. They sang. It was a duet. Okay, I do know that song. <laughs> <laughs> and it's a song that heavily features the concept of hope. <laughs> huh. I can't believe you chose that. <laughs> and mine's like, though hope is frail, it's hard to kill. <laughs> like Supergirl. <laughs> <laughs> wow. I like it. It's also like about miracles, obviously, in the religious sense, but it also reminded me of season three of Supergirl and the way that James talked about miracles, specifically in 
relation to like the supers and the hope that they can inspire. And then it's funny because at the end of the song, Mariah and Whitney have kind of a riff off. And it just to me reminded me of like Wynn and James as Cars number one fans <laughs> singing in support. Oh, who can outdo the, the other? Yeah. Oh. I said I would enjoy Cara with I Want to Dance with Somebody. Oh. Oh, because she used to break people's toes when she danced with them. She did in her middle school junior prom. She just wants to dance with somebody who loves her. Oh, she just wants to be. Yeah. Oh, that's so sweet. Okay. Um, (laughs) I doubly like this choice. For Jean, I thought I Look to You would be a good fit. Just reminds me of the supportive relationship with him and the Danvers sisters. Oh, that's cute. I would like to choose I Will Always Love You for Kara's relationship with food. (laughs) correct that is the right answer you win (laughs) and then the last one that i thought of was i want to run to you the lyrics really apply to brainy and his current situation and also with relation to nia and how he wants to be in a relationship with her and like be connected to everybody but he currently can't or thinks he can't be (sighs) such a struggle and that's our song meta (laughs) there we go and the second half of this question is also, how many times has Kara had to leave a car-shaped hole in a Kako elevator shaft from whatever <laughs> yurt she's self-quarantining in? <laughs> oh, my. <laughs> like, Kat Grant would like to know so she can nominate Supergirl for Guinness Book recognition and send car a bill but it's been at least five or six i was saying yes. after this episode i was like catco must have the highest building insurance premium <laughs> I know. in the world because it's a elevator too the elevator the building was on fire in this episode like there the elevator must be easy to like do stuff in and that's why it's always getting demolished <laughs> Yeah, it's probably a smaller set piece. Practical effect. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So then we have another question from General Svine. I know Crisis changed things for everyone except Kara, Lena, Lex, and Jean. What do you think of Leviathan? Did they also forget they used to be in a deal with Lex via Eve? Also, is Akrata's origin story another one now? One of the few coherent and well-made stories that tied the new characters to the overall plot seems like it's gone. What do you think of the reset so far? I like car. I dislike change. <laughs> I like some things. I do enjoy the fact that Akrata's origin story is actually another one. Although I miss the character growth that she had. Pros and cons. Yeah. I am just mindful of the fact that Andrea Brooks was out on maternity leave. So mm-hmm. I expect Eve or Hope or both will return at some point. Yeah. I'm assuming she's not Hope anymore. She would be regular Eve. That's true. Oh, we don't know then if she's still actually working for Leviathan and she'll resurface that way or if something mm-hmm. completely different happened. That could yeah. be kind of fun. So the assumption is also that Leviathan doesn't know until maybe we'll find out that they do know what the alternate timeline was. <laughs> I do have some quibbles with Leviathan because they turned out to be a pretty toothless villain in the first part of the season, mm-hmm. given that, and this happens every year, like they present a villain and then it gets defeated with like next to no effort and then they level it up again and we all know that they're going to be defeated. So it's like, why did we have to do this twice? Yeah. Although I do like the fact that it's not like entirely different villains every time. It's Mm -hmm. more interconnected. It's like one group as opposed to the world killers and then the witches, you know? Yeah, but it's still a villain of the season that Kara doesn't really have any emotional stakes in for Mm -hmm. herself. So that part is still, eh. there's room for improvement on that. But I mean, I do like that they're being a little bit more cryptic with what Leviathan's endgame is at the moment. Mm -hmm. So we'll see. 
I feel like the end of the season might go a little bit more along the lines of season one, because that also was the Myriad story and dealt with like mind control and some of those things and had a little bit more of a neat closure to it versus like last season, which had a lot of stuff going on. And then they kind of rushed to close it all. Here's hoping. Not a guitar hero on Twitter asks, it looks like after two seasons of being single, Kara was struggling to date again. I wonder how much of that is shyness, worrying about William's safety, or if she's still battling how the thing with Lena and her identity messed things up. She deserves to be happy. I agree. And we had a second related question from an anonymous listener who asked, how do we feel about the dynamic between William and Kara? So I don't think shyness is the issue because Kara's not really actually all that shy. She could be socially awkward sometimes. She's also extroverted, though. It was definitely more the other things, <laughs> like William's safety and the fact that she thought that she couldn't be in new relationships because of what happened with Lena. Well, and they did set up her having that interaction with William as Supergirl and then coming around to the conclusion that, no, it's okay to let myself give this a try, even though he doesn't know that that was me. Mm-hmm when she was really struggling with that because of how poorly Lena had reacted. So yeah. those things were the driving factors behind her kind of pushing her own feelings away. Mm -hmm. And I think in this episode, how to progress in a comfortable way was the issue. I think she sort of got over those hurdles like 90% through like the 100th episode mm -hmm. and her talk with Wynn also about William's safety. Yes. And then how we feel about the dynamic between William and Kara. I've nicknamed them Sunday. You and your pun man <laughs> and it's also like ice cream so that's true i like the idea of kara getting to be happy in the way in which she chooses so yes i am on board in that case <laughs> william seems nice and nerdy which i approve of i like all their scenes together it's nice to see kara be happy especially because of the beginning of the season well and it also feels like a good time for it especially in light of how we've commented upon the fact that kara and alex's personal growth storylines tend to mirror each other's mm. year to year and we're likely going to see more relationship stuff for alex as well so there will be more room for both Danvers sisters to kind of go on those journeys of maturing and navigating new romantic relationships now that they have a little bit more experience with like the long-term relationships and the possible pitfalls. But yes, maybe they'll also be like the unforeseen things mm. and grappling with uncertainty and change, which neither of them <laughs> particularly enjoys. No. So. <laughs> I also like in terms of William's character in relation to Kara's character, how he values the same things that she does in terms of reporting yeah. and endangering himself sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> One of the reasons I sort of disapproved of the Monel and Kara relationship was because of how not aligned, yeah, unaligned <laughs> that they were in terms of values. And I think this is a better place to start a relationship. I just... William wins for having that relatable moment of his sad sandwich at his desk because that <laughs> has been my life a couple of times yes. in the past couple months. And so I'm like, all right, <laughs> yes, I'm there. Like, I'll take it. We're seeing him more as kind of like an awkward character, which is a nice expansion of who he is. Well, and it's also kind of like what they've done with James Olsen as a character where they do a little bit of subversion of expectations for mm -hmm. what you think a male character should be based on their physical appearance. Yeah. Because he came across initially you know he's got like the cool accent he's very put together very suave and then he's like a total dork so <laughs> yeah it's perfect i like it so that wraps up our companion episode for the bodyguard 
The next episode is called Reality Bites, with more of a focus on Nia slash Dreamer, which would be fun. And her cool roommate is going to be back. Yeah. And they're also going to be tackling trans-specific social issues, which is, like, really exciting. (laughs) Yeah, and Nicole has said that she got to have a lot of input into that storyline, and she's been really excited about it. The whole cast is actually really fired up for a lot of the rest of the season, so that's a good sign. It is. So we'll be back next week to discuss that episode. If you want to send us any additional thoughts, you can send them to us via our site, supergirlsaddict.com or Twitter and Tumblr. And we have gotten a few things that we are going to respond to soon. And thanks for listening.